This Week in HPC. Watson upgrades his emotional IQ. And the Stanford HPC Advisory Council Workshop. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening into another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research. I'm Addison Snell, together again with Michael Feldman after taking last week off. Thanks for covering me last week down to Chris Willard. I understand you guys had a good podcast. Yeah, there's a couple interesting uh, acquisitions or acquisitions on the on the docket last week, and uh, we got something a little different this week. No acquisitions, but uh, we still have IBM back in the news. IBM back in the news, and it seems we've talked about Watson and cognitive computing a lot, and that's going to be a, a theme, the machine learning theme, coming in uh, both segments of our podcast this week. But let's start with the new Watson news. Watson getting a couple of new APIs that's going to help the uh, the program program, the software, the cognitive computing, better identify emotions, especially in the person that it's talking to. Right. Actually, they, they announced three APIs uh, called Tone Analyzer, Emotion Analyzer, and the Visual Recognition API. And those are are not actually ready for prime time as far as uh, for third-party use. They're, they're available now in beta, but they've already incorporated them into their text-to-speech facility in Watson. So they've done the work themselves, and they're opening up that API for, for third-party, and they talk about them in, in the press release this week. So when you talk about text-to-speech, you're really intimating that this is going to help Watson two different ways. One is it's going to help Watson uh, portray a different range of emotions. Uh, you know, you see him on his commercials talking to Bob Dylan and other celebrities about, uh, uh, you know, what his capabilities are, get that computer to portray more emotions. But I think what's more sophisticated is getting it to understand different emotions. Do you take everything completely literally, or is there some sarcastic or satirical value in, in the text that you're, uh, that you're uh, processing? Right, or, or any sort of uh, emotion or tone in, in the text. I mean, there's all sorts of uh, emotions. There's negative, there's there's uh, positive emotions, and, and those run the gamut. Um, and this becomes useful when you have text, and it's, it's not even speech, but you have the text that is portraying certain things sort of between the lines. Um, before, everybody just sort of concentrated on the, on the sort of the naked text, and we all heard about like Twitter feeds, they'd see how many versions of a certain a language or phrase or, or, or not language, but a, a keyword or a phrase that was in a, a Twitter feed over a period of time. And you'd say, okay, this is this is about this subject. But here it, it delves a little more granular and said, not just the actual words, but what is behind those words as far as sort of uh, the emotional part of it or the, the underlying theme that uh, might not be expressed in just the text itself. Right. And even if you're talking about analyzing Twitter, traffic and you're looking for key words, right. being able to pick up on sarcasm and say, you know, my new insert brand name laptop is just the best. It only crashed three times today, right? right. Anyone, any human reading that understands that that was sarcastic and that I'm actually not happy. But if you're taking it literally, you might miss it. Yeah, exactly. You might you might miss it completely. I mean, you might catch the keyword crash, but you might catch the quick keyword happy and be confused right. if you were looking uh, solely upon just the uh, the raw text. And this is to solve that problem. And you could see sort of the 
the application of that very easily in, in things like marketing and, and product development and product feedback and uh, just the whole consumer space where where customers are giving this feedback, um, and and it has to be some sometimes it's very nuanced feedback, and you want to capture that in in an automated way. It's it's for that sort of thing that these kinds of uh, analyses become very valuable. It also strikes me as a perfect example of a deep learning type of application where what really uh, shapes your learning is experience, and this is not something that even humans start out well equipped to deal with. You know, we're kids, we're gullible, we're naive, we believe things. And depending on who you are, you develop the maturation in that to a different extent. We have high school kids reading a modest proposal and challenging their minds to say, okay, don't take this literally, right? Right. You gotta, you've gotta, you know, be able to read that this is a satirical piece of work. That's something we actually learn how to do and talk about as human beings. Uh, Can a computer learn how to do that? Can they get as good or better? at it than a human. Well, I mean, yeah, that's that's sort of the question. But we've seen, you know, in the past five years, there's been the whole the whole uh, segment of machine learning with this visual recognition, which is a part of this as well. The machines actually learn to recognize images or or, or other other signals the way a human would over a period of time, and they're trained that way. Uh, Picking up on tone and emotions is, seems harder to us, but it's it's the same sort of process as far as learning. You pick up certain nuances of speech or or, or other signals from the text or the uh, the actual audio, and you can you can teach. Presumably, you could teach machine to actually find these things out through this sort of analyses. This is eventually going to become some sort of futuristic app that I have on a device that warns me and warns a man when he's talking to his wife that there's subtext going on that he's missing because he's not paying enough attention. <laughs> right. I mean, you could you could the 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 applications sort of boggle the mind how good they can get at this. I mean, the the stuff that we have to read for for emotional uh, intelligence here just permeates the world that we live in, and to have something to help you along, I think, would be uh, just just sort of uh, valuable in so many different situations, not just for marketing and sales, but just for everyday living. I mean, IBM is is putting a lot behind this. It's not like uh, you know they, they've come up with this, and this particular set of APIs is just part of the, the whole Watson development, but they, they held an uh, uh, analyst uh, meeting this week, and they talked about cognitive computing as one of their big areas, as well as cloud computing. They're putting a lot of emphasis behind this. They see the market there as small right now, but huge. Uh, they talked about it as being two trillion dollars worth of uh, of revenue there that's basically untouched. They, they're looking at that and they're saying they're in pretty good position to pick a lot of that up. Yeah, it's definitely a topic of interesting conversation looking forward. There's, this is something we've talked about on this podcast before. It's an exciting area of development. It's not it's not widespread yet in terms of its overall usage, but it's easy to start to imagine how it could start permeating computing over the next couple of decades. But in terms of an area of research, it's definitely been a major uh, source of the conversation, not only from IBM, but from a lot of companies. I was just at the HPC Advisory Council workshop at Stanford this week, and there was presentation after presentation that started talking about machine learning or deep learning or artificial intelligence or cognitive computing, deep neural networks, all these different related topics uh, throughout the two-day agenda. 
Yeah, I noticed that. I mean, it's just two days, and there's a handful of uh, sessions you can get in two days. But there were there were four sessions there that concentrated on machine and or deep learning to some extent. So that was sort of amazing. I think this is one of the things we are going to see it at conferences uh, upcoming this year. And certainly, you experienced uh, a good a good taste of that just in those two days that you were there. Yeah, and probably most directly, people are interested in hearing what Baidu had to say about that. Brian Cotanzaro uh, from Baidu gave a uh, the keynote on the second day, uh, HPC, the Computational Foundation of Deep Learning, and uh, a very interesting presentation talking about the research they're doing there. I'm also looking forward to hosting Brian as one of my, my panelists in the uh, popular analyst crossfire session when we get to the IS. C conference uh, this coming June. Uh, this coming June, so we'll get to continue the conversation there. But that was maybe the headliner. But uh, it, it did come up again and again. Now, in my own presentation, um, you know, I brought it up as a topic uh, under the the category of hyperscale because it's been companies like Baidu that or or Google or Facebook or, or Amazon, Microsoft, where we've seen a lot of this research going on. Uh, and uh, it's part of what we're going to track in our hyperscale advisory service looking forward. We are starting to preview some of the elements of that service and how it breaks out into different tiers and what it has in common with HPC, what it has, uh, where it differs from HPC. Uh, it was uh, it was uh, definitely in context with all of this uh, deep learning talk. Yeah, I mean, you talked about the the hyperscalers that are picking this up, and 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 you mentioned the the three or four that are sort of pushing the envelope here. And I think the the fact that those companies, Microsoft, Baidu, Google, and and one or two others, is pushing this so hard, I think actually this whole thing about machine learning and the related cognitive computing space, it, it's going to find application in a in a shorter time than I think you're talking about, like ten years down the road or something. I think we're going to see. You know, very commercial application of this within the next few years. I think we're starting to see just the uh, sort of the the proto commercial of commercialization of that now, and then some of the uh, image recognition that's going on and, and that's leaking into the medical field and the healthcare fields. But I think we're going to see that commercialized. I think pretty rapidly now because it's such a fast moving space, and with with companies like IBM and Microsoft and Baidu behind it, uh, I don't see how that can really miss. They're they're pushing a lot into this, they see the, the marketing opportunity. IBM sees the marketing opportunity, and it's, uh, I think it's going to come fast. Oh yeah, I think we'll start seeing some. We see some applications now. I was trying to, to talk about when I think it becomes pervasive down at a, a consumer level, where uh, all the different types of computing you interact with start having these cognitive elements. But I, I mean, we talk to our smartphones today. Right. Uh, you know, you get people saying, "Hey Siri" or "Okay Google" to their cell phones and asking these plain text questions. There's there's a lot that goes on at that individual implementation level. I don't think it's pervasive yet. I think that takes a long time. I think by the time it becomes pervasive, we might call it something else yet again. But its I think it is a movement that we're going to see continuing. Yeah, and certainly that, that $2 trillion figure that uh, IBM's throwing around as a, as a total addressable market, that 
that's not there now, but that's what they're looking forward to. Um, but certainly they see it across a lot of different domains and, and uh, vertical markets, and that's what they're aiming at. But yeah, uh, it's something, like you said, we're going to track as, as part of the hyperscale work, but also as, a, as, as just an HPC application itself, it's, which was it's sort of an overlap area in that sense. But one of the more exciting areas in uh, in our space today. Yeah. Now, this w- certainly wasn't the only thing that got talked about at the HPC Advisory Council. It was maybe noteworthy in that it's been an amplified theme that's that's coming up over and over again. Certainly, there was traditional supercomputing talk as well. Uh, one of my favorites um, was from uh, Clara Druzgalski, who uh, gave a presentation on using HPC simulation to advance water desalination with electrodialysis. I thought it was just a really topical presentation in an area of research to, to look at how we could simulate better desalinization techniques, even if it did go past my level of expertise relatively quickly. The entire chart's covered with partial differential <laughs> equations. I could understand the nature of the application, even if I wasn't following along all the math myself with a pencil. Yeah, and very, like you said, very topical, and very, uh, very much so here in California and a lot of other places around the world that are losing their, their water resources due to various factors. Uh, something that HPC, you know, you might not think offhand would help out with uh, that sort of thing, but you are seeing more and more areas, uh, or at least I'm reading about more and more areas where they're basically modeling just about anything you can think of to solve uh, a problem that has any amount of science in it. Yeah, and uh, these these HPC advisory councils have, have been terrific. So there are some of the talks they kept bringing uh, back and watching how they evolve. There's been a traditional exascale panel that I get to be part of with DK Panda and a few others, uh, and, and it's been interesting to hear how those talks have evolved. I'm, I'm looking forward to participating again in the next HPC advisory council uh, meeting coming up in Lugano, Switzerland next month. And uh, if you weren't able to attend this workshop. Uh, Rich Bruckner of Inside HPC was there. I know he captured a lot of video content. There should be a lot of write-ups uh, on Inside HPC and on the HPC Advisory Council website itself. This has really been an excellent conference series that, that I think is the premier, uh, premier, not just conference series, but resource for the worldwide HPC user community across different domains. Yeah, I've been to a couple, and it is nice to see sort of that uh, diverse range of topics brought up there. And it's nice to see that they're actually, they, they sort of spread it around in different geographies. You know, you've, you've been to the one down in Brazil, you've been to the one, you're going to Lugano, that's one I've been to. Uh, of course, the one at Stanford mm-hmm. here, and other places, too. They, uh, they've been in Spain, they've been in China, we've, we've they South do them Africa, in, they, right? South Africa, they've done them together with the ISC conference. It's, it's really been a, a very thorough series. Yeah. Well, I, I'm glad that you were able to attend it, and uh, yeah, looking forward to that one. In, uh, Stanford's an easy months. one. That's a that's a 20 minute drive. That's right. That's just down the road from you. But yeah, you're going to be going a little further afield uh, in March to Lugano. But that's a beautiful city, and uh, again, a, an interesting set of users there next to the uh, supercomputing facility, and uh, you know, Central Europe in general. Well, I'm looking forward to it and uh, glad to be back in the podcast chair this week. It's always fun to, to have these conversations every week, Michael. And uh, thanks to you for listening as well. You've been listening to This Week in HPC. You've been listening to This Week in HPC. 